Ladies and gentlemen, can you hear me at the very end of the hall? Yes? Even there. You know, my last remaining doubt about technology is that these loudspeakers don't work. <laughs> if they work, anything else will work. The world is changing incredibly rapidly. And it is changing on account of technology. I have been in the United States. I lived here now for much the greatest part, much the longest portion of my life. I actually lived here for 56 years. And in this, in this period, I have witnessed many wonderful things in America. The most wonderful, when I fly, and I fly often, a pretty hostess will ask me, where do you get your beautiful accent? In any other country, this would be an insult. In America, it isn't. In America, people of different backgrounds, of different cultures and traditions, live together. Always have. And that is why the future of the world has a lot to do with the experience of America because, as I already said, we live in an age of technology. And the big thing that, the tech, that technology has brought about was to make the world smaller, ever so much more interacting. And I believe that we must learn to live with others. And we must learn to have a little order in the chaos, which is the political world today. But in these 56 years that I lived here, I have seen another change, and a very dangerous one. More and more people are afraid to an increasing extent of technology. Technology is called dehumanizing. I claim the very opposite. 
It is technology that is characteristic of humans in contrast to any other living being. I am not saying that technology is good. I am saying technology is human. I am not saying that humans are good. I am saying that humans can be good. Or the opposite. But whatever humans are, technology makes them more so. And here for that, we have an extreme case before our eyes. Much of the worry of technology has been connected with nuclear weapons, with weapons in general. And now, we have a recent experience of enormous importance. It came so magnificently and so fast that we are apt not to remember it. The war in the Gulf. Very different from everything that any war was ever before. I'm not exaggerating. I will be concrete. This was something entirely new for two reasons. Never before, politically, did so many incompatible people work together. Americans and Soviets, and Arabs, which never got along with each other, and even the French. <laughs> what for? Not for either. Not for the money. for the power. If we had not acted, if our president would not have brought together this incredible skill, this coalition, if he had not convinced even some Democrats to vote for action, that was the hardest part of it. <laughs> then today, Saddam Hussein, in possession of the oil of the Middle East, would be a danger comparable to Hitler and Stalin. And united action by all people against aggression could have avoided the Second World War. And unfortunately, at that time, the free countries 
could not agree to stop the dictator. This is the political novelty, the technical novelty. An army of a million was defeated with hardly any casualties on our side and with an attempt which obviously could not be complete but was very seriously tried to limit the casualties among our opponents. The first contribution of high technology to warfare happened to favor the attacker. That was in the nature of things. Bigger explosions were easily made and there exist very strong and strict technical reasons where even bigger explosions, which are possible, are completely useless. Don't believe with most people that high explosive atomic bomb, hydrogen bomb, will get bigger and bigger, where will it end? You make them bigger, you make them more expensive. You will not make them more effective because the finite depth of the atmosphere. Bigger explosions will blow out a small portion of the atmosphere at ever higher speeds. But the effect on Earth will not be bigger. A very simple point, not known to most people. The second step in high technology could not be and was not bigger explosions. It was miniaturization, better observation, incredibly improved calculational possibilities, and as a result, accuracy. And fortunately, for the first time in history, we had a president who selected among the military those who understood how to apply the technological advances. And having given them the job, let them act. This political wisdom made the difference. And I want to tell you, the definition of an expert by a great physicist Niels Bohr, he said that expert is a person who, through his own painful experience, has found out all the mistakes that one can commit in a very narrow field. <laughs> now, I do not claim that President Bush is an expert. He has seen many mistakes in politics and learned from them. But still, he can't be an expert. Because politics, very obviously, is not a narrow field. In politics, I know, as in human life, there are and can be more mistakes. But with the splendid accomplishment 
of President Bush with his moderation, his effective stopping of aggression, his establishment of the tradition of cooperation, and of the use of the latest in technology. We have the hope for a better world. We are developing defensive instruments that can make weapons of sudden aggression, missiles, useless. Our persistence has helped to persuade the Soviets to try a new tech and the tension now between East and West has subsided. But technology in the hands of Saddam Hussein and his successors will continue to constitute a danger unless and until we find valid defenses against missiles. And we have found them. Unfortunately, there is an outdated treaty which imagines that we can do without defense. I think we need defense, not the United States, not a shield over our country, because the world has become smaller. We need precisely what President Bush is recommending. GPLs, global protection against limited strikes. Because more and more people will be able to do mischief with rockets unless the protection is developed and is developed for the common good and hopefully will be developed by common means. My life, which as this century comes to an end, is coming to an end. My life was full of dreadful challenges, great sufferings, and some solutions. The coming century, your life, could be and should be better. It will be better if you recognize the great potentialities in the technologies and the great but soluble difficulties which arise of necessity in a rapidly changing world. I am not prophesying a century free of problems. Man has been described as a problem-solving animal. I would pre prefer to describe men and women 
as problem-creating animals. The problems and their solution will make your world, I am very sure, most interesting. I hope that you look into the future, into the necessarily uncertain future, with a willingness to change, with an eye that sees farther than the confines of this state, of this, of this nation, and with a conviction that the old technological virtues of this nation and the even older habit of welcoming, not tolerating, but welcoming every difference that exists in human beings. I hope that these guidelines will help you. Thank you very much for listening.